0: You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain TV. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain dot tv slash gold all right folks. let me pull this up here i'm going to go back to the atlantic article by alston chase just to refresh your memory here let's just get this out of the way and talk about the third major uh stamp on the world that uh dr henry murray the esteemed professor harvard professor has left on this world. It says, uh, Perhaps no figure at Harvard at this time better embodied the ongoing war between science and humanism than Henry A. Murray, a professor in Harvard's Department of Social Relations. A wealthy and blue-blooded New Yorker, Murray was both a scientist and a humanist, and he was one of Lewis Mumford's best friends. He feared for the future of civilization in an age of nuclear weapons and advocated implementing the agenda of the World Federalist Association, which called for a single world government, all right? World Federalist Association, folks. So we're gonna just hop over to uh, Wikipedia. Now, sadly, it's hard to find a lot of information on this stuff, but uh, we did our best, we did our best. So the World Federalist Movement advocate strong democratic institutions adhering to the principles of uh subsidiarity, solidarity and democracy. The movement formed in the 1930s and 1940s by citizens groups concerned that the structure of the new United Nations was too similar to the League of Nations which had failed to prevent World War II. Rockefeller's behind all this folks. And we'll go into it a little deeper. Now, let me just pop back over here real quick, right? So on the Atlantic article, it says, the atomic bomb, Murray wrote in a letter to Mumford, quote, is the logical and predictable result of the course we have been madly pursuing for 100 years, end quote. The choice now facing humanity, he added, was, quote, one world or no world, end quote. Yet unlike Mumford, Murray maintained a deep faith in science. He saw it as offering a solution by helping to transform the human personality quote the kind of behavior that is required by the present threat end quote murray wrote mumford quote involves transformations of personality such as never occurred quickly in human history one transformation being that of national man into world man end quote now maybe ask yourself what all that atomic bomb stuff was all about you'd have to go back to this time frame You'd have to look at the articles and the propaganda being written back then. Was it all to scare people? Look, we created it. We created it and then we used it, right? Supposedly. I mean, that's the official narrative. And then we're going to use it as propaganda to drive people into this idea of a global government, which, as you'll see, was all being created, uh, even through the OSS, post-war activities, post-war rebuilding. You'll see it was all being created as World War II was being fought, this idea of a one-world government. It says, in the aftermath of World Wars I and Two, activists form organizations with the intention of creating a new international system that could prevent another global war. Right? Could prevent another global war. So we have to have globalism to stop globalism. It goes on to say, the first world federalist organization was founded in 1937 by two famous feminist, pacifists, and female suffragists, Rosika Schwimmer and Lola Maverick Lloyd. In 1938, the Federal Union was organized in the United Kingdom. In the United States, Federal Union, now Association to Unite the Democracies, was established in 1939, calling for a federation of the Atlantic democracies. Uh, It goes on to talk about uh, some other movements that occurred there. It says, In 1945, the committee to frame a world constitution convened at the University of Chicago and drafted a constitution for the world. In 1947, five small world federalist organizations came together in Asheville, North Carolina, and agreed to merge as the United World Federalists. These five groups had in the previous year met with representatives of 15 others in Bern and Hernstein to discuss creating a worldwide federalist organization. It was one year later in August 1947, that's when the CIA was founded in Metro that more than 51 organizations from 24 countries came together at the conference of the world movement for world federal government. The conference concluded with the Montreux declaration. By its second Congress in 1948 in Luxembourg, the movement consisted of 150,000 members of 19 nationalities and 50 member and affiliated organizations. The 350 participants in the Congress laid the groundwork for an association of uh, parliamentarians for world government, which came into being in 1951. Federalists had hoped, that the anticipated United Nations Review Conference under Article 109 of the UN Charter in 1955 would move the UN further in the direction of a world federal system. Around 1965, the movement had established offices near the United Nations with American Federalist Marion McKivety as the movement's UN observer and advocate. All right, this is not the stuff that you learn about at school, folks goes on to say some Federalists in this period focused on amendments to the United Nations Charter as a way forward. Most involved reforms to institutions, such as more representative security Council, a world court with compulsory jurisdiction and judicial review authority and a democratically elected General Assembly or a world uh, parliament. Federalists proposed a number of new institutions, such as a commission, on sustainable development, an international development authority, a standing peacekeeping corps, and an international criminal court. And you would say to yourself, you would, you'd say to yourself, wait a second, there definitely weren't people inside of our government working on a world government following up after fighting hitler to stop this fascist world government oh no this was in the works folks this is what Bretton woods was where we created the international monetary fund and the world bank this is the united nations this is the meetings of the world federalist society this was all going on okay while we were fighting the war it was already decided Some would say that would be the reason for the war. Meanwhile, we build a nuke, use the nuke, and then tell people we have to be afraid of the nuke. And the only way that we can stop ourselves from nuking each other is to come together under one global government. And the issue with that, folks, is the further you move the government away from you, okay, your neighborhood, your town, your county, your state, federal government, world government, the further it's away from you, the less decision-making that you are allowed to have inside of that government now let me show you this folks all right so this right here uh comes out of the university of chicago it's uh lib.uchicago.edu this is a guide to the committee to frame a world constitution and this is records from 1945 to 1951 and um It says, abstract, the Committee to Frame a World Constitution was first convened in the fall of 1945 as part of the post-World War II world federalist movement. The records contain correspondence and miscellaneous material reflecting the close relations between the committee and other organizations advocating some form of world government. The papers are comprised of the files of the committee secretariat, which was also the editorial staff for the journal Common Cause. All right, we could, we could do a whole show on this itself. When I get back, I'm going to just tie this together for you. I want to show you who was involved with this world constitution. Remember, this is because Dr. Henry Murray, the guy who worked for the OSS, who created this assessment of men, this protocol to select managers inside our companies today, who was also running MKUltra Mind Control Experiments at Harvard, was a big proponent of world government, as were most of the people inside of our government at the time that we were fighting Hitler and fighting the Japanese, folks. You have been completely flim-flammed. Did they tell you this? If you're in the military and you went off to war somewhere, did they tell you that there was a world government committee and that there was a world constitution that was drafted did they disclose all of this to you when you took your oath to defend the constitution from enemies foreign and domestic if you were truly defending the constitution from enemies domestic you would have been fighting the very people that were running our country because they were developing a world government while you were off fighting While you were off fighting in Germany, fighting in Japan, fighting in all these places, fighting in France, you were being duped. I hate to tell you, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but somebody has to disclose this hidden history to you. I mean, if you want to talk about homeschool, this is the stuff we need to be teaching our children about the world they actually live in, not some fictitious illusion that we believe it is. Oh, it would be a constitutional republic if it weren't for the Democrats, if they weren't cheating in elections, if the communists and the socialists didn't take over. Folks, this was a worldwide plan carried out by both Democrats and Republicans throughout our entire history. To lead us up to this world government under a central bank currency system i'll be right back folks It's dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain TV. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard, right here on Payne.tv. slash Gold. My name is Dustin Gold, sharing the real history of our country. All right, folks, this is another group, I want to just show you this, that grew out of this world federalist society, the world constitution. It's called Congress for Cultural Freedom. The Congress for Cultural Freedom, the CCF, was an anti-communist advocacy group founded in 1950. All right, so we come out of World War II, we go directly into the Cold War, we start running Operation Paperclip, bringing Nazis back here to run our government uh, agencies and programs we set up mk ultra uh, all under the guise that we had to beat the soviets to it so we have to start mind bending people meanwhile we're setting up a council on world government we're funding the united nations uh brenton woods convention we established the international monetary fund and the world bank that really Set up the world government. And so here it says uh, at its height, the CCF was active in 35 countries. In 1966, it was revealed that the CIA was instrumental in the establishment and funding of the group. The Congress aimed to enlist intellectuals and opinion makers in a war of ideas against communism. So we started fighting communism, right? Right after we were done fighting the fascists. Meanwhile, we're rolling, I don't know, what do we want to call it? U.S. corporatism? Well, we believe we're socialists and communists and fascists over here now. So we were just rolling out our own red, white, and blue fascism, communism, and socialism onto the rest of the world. We weren't freeing anyone, folks. We were consolidating power we were building a monopoly it says historian francis stoner saunders writes in 1999 quote whether they liked it or not whether they knew it or not there were few writers poets artists historians scientists or critics in post-war europe whose names were not in some way linked to this covert enterprise end quote A different slant on the origins and work of the Congress is offered by Peter Coleman in his Liberal Conspiracy 1989, where he talks about a struggle for the mind of post-war Europe and the world at large. This was us ushering in a Rockefeller technocracy onto the rest of the world, folks. Consolidation of power. Uh, And just a little bit on this. This is the origins from 1948 to 1950. Says CCF was founded on June 26, 1950 in West Berlin, which had just endured months of Soviet blockade. Its stated purpose was to find ways to counter the view that liberal democracy was less compatible with culture than communism. In practical terms, it aimed to challenge the post-war sympathies with the USSR, many Western intellectuals and fellow travelers, particularly among liberals and the non-communist left. Formation of the CCF came in response to a series of events orchestrated by the Soviet Union. The World Congress of Intellectuals in Defense of Peace in Roklau, Poland, in August 1948, a similar event in April the following year in Paris, the World Congress of Peace Partisans and their culmination in the creation of the World Peace Council, which in March 1950 issued the Stockholm Appeal. As part of this campaign, there had also been an event in New York City in March 1949, the Cultural and Scientific Conference for World Peace at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel was attended by many Prominent U.S. liberals, leftists, and pacifists who called for peace with the Soviet Union. Prominent participant on the communist side was Dmitry Shostakov. The opposing anti-communist side included several others the founding conference of the congress for cultural freedom was attended by leading intellectuals from the u.s and western europe among those who came to berlin in 1950 were writers philosophers critics and historians it's got a whole bunch of people folks it says there were conservatives among the participants but non-communist or former communist left-wingers were more numerous irving Kristol. That's Bill Kristol's father, who would become known as the godfather of neoconservatism, was also present. During the Berlin Conference, Nicholas Namatov proclaimed, With this Congress, we must build a war organization. The manifesto of the Congress was drafted by Arthur Koestler, with amendments added on a motion proposed by historian Hugh Trevor Roper and philosopher A.J. Iyer. Folks, all orchestrated and funded by the cia here i'll just give you this piece in april 1966 the new york times ran a series of articles on the purposes and methods of the cia the third of these 1966 articles began to detail false front organizations And the secret transfer of CIA funds, for example, the U.S. State Department or to the United States Information Agency, which, quote, may help finance a scholarly inquiry and publication or the agency may channel research money through foundations, legitimate ones or dummy fronts, end quote. The New York Times cited, among others, the CIA's funding of the Congress for Cultural Freedom, Encounter Magazine, quote, several American book publishers, end quote, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Center for International Studies, and a foreign aid project in South Vietnam run by Michigan State University. In 1967, the U.S. magazine's Ramparts and the Saturday Evening Post reported on the CIA's funding of a number of anti-communist cultural organizations aimed at winning the support of supposedly soviet sympathizing liberals worldwide these reports were lent credence by a statement made by a former cia covert operations director admitting to cia financing and operation of the ccf the CIA website states that, quote, the Congress for Cultural Freedom is widely considered one of the CIA's more daring and effective Cold War covert operations, end quote. Folks, all orchestrated by the CIA. Now, let me show you this because it's important here. We covered this in a past show, but I'm trying to tie all these loose ends up for you. If you remember, FDR had what was called the Brain Trust. Let me read you this quickly. Brain Trust was a term that originally described a group of close advisors to a political candidate or incumbent. These were often academics who were prized for their expertise in particular fields. The term is most associated with a group of advisors of Franklin Delano Roosevelt during his presidential administration. Now, I'm going to go back to an article we covered here before. On ageofutopia.info. And this was a piece on Rexford Guy Tugwell. It says here, in the wake of the shocking finish to the Second World War, people across the globe were wringing their hands over what to do about the new problem of atomic power. Right, we just read that there uh coming out of Henry Murray's own mouth. It says these questions that arose at the dawn of the nuclear age echoed through the halls of Chicago University, a university that had participated in the development of these weapons to no small degree in response to the new fear. See, what, what, it, this is the Elon Musk of today. AI is going to destroy us, so I'm going to create it. Then you have to let me govern it and be the head of the governing council that governs the government of the governing council that oversees the governing committee that governs the very technology I created that's going to destroy humanity. But if I'm in charge of the government that governs the committee, then I can govern things appropriately to make sure it does not destroy humanity, or maybe it could if things go wrong. Same thing with the new care, folks. This is about control. It says, in response to the new fear, a group was formed at the college with its chancellor, Robert Maynard Hutchins, as chairman. Other Chicago University members included Mortimer J. Adler and Stringfellow Barr. These three men would go on to compose the great books of the Western World Collection, as well as dejected New Deal Administrator failed New York City Planning Commissioner, and then Governor of Puerto Rico, Rexford G. Tugwell. This group had decided that the only way to prevent total nuclear annihilation of the world was to formulate a world government modeled on Enlightenment ideals of reason and social contract. The main legacy of the so called Committee to Frame a World Constitution was the preliminary draft of a world constitution published in 1948. In the preamble of this new constitution, the committee declares that justice can only be achieved once nations give up their sovereignty to a new global organization, as well as their arms. Once this justice is realized, they say peace is possible. Once there is peace, we could pursue, quote, the common goal of mankind, end quote, which is, quote, the advancement of man in spiritual excellence and physical welfare, end quote. This document posits only two possible outcomes for the future of humanity, world government or extinction. However, these new founding fathers don't present their world stage. I I, I just... Folks, it's all here for you. It's all here for you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so this is Henry Murray. This is the guy who messed with uh with um Ted Kaczynski's head. Big pusher of this world government, and it just opens up a rabbit hole for us. We're able to tie a lot of pieces together and stuff we've covered here at the Dust and Gold Standard. As you can see now, this world government was being pushed by us. Uh, We were pushing it going back to, I mean, mean, folks, you you can look at different parts throughout history, but ever since the Federal Reserve 1913 comes into place here in the United States, and we're going to be tackling the Federal Reserve next. That's next up on our plate. I decided I'm not going to do Cycle of Civilizations first. I'm going to do the Anthony Sutton book recommended by Wide Awake Jim in light of this new stuff. So you have the Federal Reserve Banking System coming into play. And ever since then, we've just been working towards building this one-world technocracy. The Rockefellers are behind most of this. FDR is big-time involved. And we're sitting here screaming about Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari that are just products. They're just products of this Rockefeller technocratic system. They are just storytellers. They're getting up there. They're telling you the story of what's already here. They're just prepping you for it. I call this uh, the adoption of the inevitable. Adoption of the inevitable. You know, uh, Tucker Carlson now brought up Central Bank Digital Currency. You brought Catherine Austin Fitz on there. I'll talk about that with Wide Awake Jim because he listens to to Catherine. And now everyone's texting me, oh, this is great. All the mainstream right-wingers are talking about CBDC. It's not great, folks, because you know what that means? It means it's too late. It's over. People like Tucker Carlson only talk about it once it is a done deal. If he was trying to stop it, he'd be talking about it five years ago. But instead, he's talking about it now. It's adoption of the inevitable. And so right now, I just want you to understand that it's best to let go of these ideas that we have uh, on restoring whatever it is we believe we once were. Because the real history shows you when you do the research and you put the pieces of the puzzle together that we were never what we ever believed we were. People could say, well, we were freer 10 years ago. We were freer 20 years ago. We were freer in the 70s. Okay, I'm sure you were. And people 20 years from now will say, wow, they were freer in 2023. They didn't have the brain chips in their heads in 2023. But we never actually had full freedom and liberty. I mean, maybe we did. We were close to it. Pre the internet. All right. Pre mass transportation. Uh, When we focused on our local communities, when we focused on our towns and our counties, and we were active in those governments, we had pretty close to freedom and liberty. If you lived out on some giant 100-acre homestead and you didn't see anybody for, for weeks at a time, you were pretty close to free. But that world has been gone ever since the industrial boom, and that led us to mass communication, and that led us to mass travel, and that led us to the internet and then the world was all completely connected and you've been operating under a world government for a very long time Uh, this idea that it's joe biden's fault or trump didn't work hard enough to drain the swamp or barack obama was a muslim communist or george bush turned out to be you know an evil military industrial complex warmonger all of that stuff Has really just been a distraction as they continue to put the final pieces together of the technological prison planet, which we see growing out of all the stuff we just discussed tonight. So that's that, folks. That's that. And the legacy, again, on Dr. Uh, Henry Murray, because I'm not going to talk about him anymore. Not for a while, and I'm moving on past Kaczynski because I think we got all the important stuff on Kaczynski out of the way. I told you, his legacy is running MK Ultra, developing the assessment of men, and pushing for the world government, back when it mattered, back when they were actually building the world government. So that's Henry Murray's legacy, the man who messed with Ted Kaczynski's mind. Ladies and gentlemen, I will see you tomorrow. Please leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts right now, folks. Right now. Sign up for pain.tv slash gold and leave us a donation over at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world Hmm. built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion...